standing for life and for religious freedom and for marriage and for God? I, what? I, where did I go? Where did I get the message wrong? I, I mean, I, something happened to my nation underneath me. That's the voice of Sam Brownback, the former Kansas governor, well-respected U.S. senator, and a U.S. ambassador. He recently shared at a Family Foundation event his inspiring yet convicting thoughts on his own personal experience navigating the cancel culture and defending religious freedom. We're going to share a bit of that with you today. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman. Well, welcome everybody. We have a special treat for you today. I'm excited to share an excerpt from the speech that U.S. Ambassador Sam Brownback gave recently. It's just so wonderful. I can't wait to share it with you. But before we get into that, I did want to introduce to everyone our grassroots manager who's with us today for the first time, Eli Osborne. Now, some of you may remember hearing Eli's voice. He kind of adds a little saltiness to the program every once in a while from the peanut gallery. But today he's sitting here with us at the table and you get to see him up close and personal. Well, I'm glad to be on this side of the camera this week and excited for this conversation with you. Yeah, we'll see if you're as colorful on this side, right, as you are sitting back there in the safe zone. We'll right. see. I always joke always joke with my wife that since I have to sit in the peanut gallery, I bring all of my comments that I would usually give on the podcast home for the weekend. So this may spare her some uh, some uh, uh, rants on the weekend. Okay, I'm yeah. glad we're serving a good purpose. Yeah. Well, I'm going to let you rant a little bit. Yeah. Um, Eli often accompanies me on grassroots trips, and I just want to give you a place to vent what is it like on a three-hour road trip, say, to Fairfax County with Candy Cushman? Let's let's hear the truth. Well, it, it would look something like we leave mid-afternoon. Candy still has a little bit of work to do. I take off up busy 95 and rush hour traffic, and tractor trailers are flying by. So being a little bit of a defensive driver and a little bit nervous, I may go a little bit to the, to the, uh, to the edge of the other side of the road. And, well, Candy's got a new car, so it has some safety features on it that are rather loud. So while she's trying to do some work on the road, it's beeping at me over and over and over as I'm trying to stay off the, the middle of the line from the tractor trailer. So I'm reminded, yeah, beep, yeah. beep, beep, literally the whole time. I'm yeah. reminded constantly about how bad of a driver you, I am. You know you can turn that off, right? Yeah, I don't know All how right. good that would go but, with candy. But you ain't turning off my safety measures. Yeah, that's he what I was going to say. He can turn it back on once you're driving. <laughs> you can turn it on and off. This this uh, this country boy from West Virginia doesn't do real good in 95 yeah. traffic. So I, I have to tell you guys, those big trucks, Eli kind of starts slowly drifting toward the the embankment, and you know, and then and then yeah. I have to resist, you know, yep. grabbing things. So it's <laughs> it's a fun experience. We have moments. <laughs> Work on the road. Fun Seriously, stuff. I appreciate all the hours you put in, oh, and it's yeah. great to have you on. Now, I wanted to bring you. you on because Eli has some personal connections to U.S. Ambassador Brownback. Tell us about that real quick. Yeah, it was really the, the craziest thing. So it's my first spring reception since I've joined here at the Family Foundation, and I'm told the speaker knows who I am. So I go to have a conversation with the ambassador, and a long story short, one of my first jobs that I had in the Senate, in uh, Senator Josh Hawley's office, my boss there, it's his son-in-law. So it was the craziest thing, and he had told him that I would be there. So I got to have an awesome conversation with the ambassador before the event even started. <laughs> That's great. And so yeah. it was pretty exciting for you to be able to, to listen to him. Oh, yeah. What was one of the things you appreci uh, appreciated most from hearing this yeah, speech? Yeah, I liked, I liked everything that he said, but the thought that was the, the most convicting to me was whenever he starts talking about how this fight on religious freedom is more than just about us. So maybe me and you might understand this, but the average person might say, I don't see how this issue really affects me. I'm not going to be impacted. 
And he's talking about how if we don't do it for ourselves, we should do it for the rest of those in the country, mm. but also those around the world. America yeah. is the is ground zero for religious freedom. And if we don't protect it here, the rest of the world's at risk, too. Yeah, and we're really seeing that play out on a day-to-day basis. We've been talking a lot on this show about how just the cancel culture is accelerating into overdrive. And just recently, we hadn't got a chance to talk about it, but the conservative commentator Matt Wash you know, had his Twitter account hacked into. Not only that, but his personal cell phone and his emails hacked. It's it's really pretty scary. And so the ambassador shared his own personal experience with the cancel culture and defending religious freedom. Um, yeah. I, particularly, I just want to throw out there real sure. quick, particularly, he uh, he has a global nonprofit that fights for religious liberty around the world. It's mm-hmm. bipartisan. It is, is well-respected. So it's just all that much more of an outrage to find out that he went in to uh, make a deposit for this organization and found out that his bank account was canceled. I mean, this is a large bank in the United States. In a routine daily task that he's going by the bank to drop off a, a deposit, no forewarning, no planning allowed, account wiped. Yeah. It's just it's just crazy. This should not happen in, yeah. in our country, especially in this scenario. Well, without further ado, we'll let you hear from the ambassador himself. He shares about how Christians should not grow weary in the battle. Deeply appreciated, and uh, what a great group, and you're in the fight, and you're on things that count and matter, and how many of you probably are like me going, this is not what I wanted to do with my life, of being in these crazy fights that I think were just basics about what it is to be an American, that I have religious freedom, that I have, I can build my family and do the things I want to that are respectful. Feedback. Democrat mic system here. <laughs> I, I just, I just want to live a normal life and have, have a regular American life. And now I find myself in these big brawls on social issues. I don't want to be in a big brawl on a social issue. How many of you that way? That's me. I grew up on a nice, pleasant farm in eastern Kansas. I was going to be a farmer like my dad, my grandfather, and his father before him were going to be. I was happy raising pigs and cattle and wheat and corn and soybeans, and I just wanted to be a farmer. And I feel like I ended up being like John Brown, this radical that, you know, you're out in a fight, but I'm just standing for life and for religious freedom and for marriage and for God. What, where did I go? Where did I get the message wrong? I, I mean, I, something happened to my nation underneath me. What happened? And I just, I get frustrated. So then when I get frustrated, I want to do one of two things. I either want to go back to the farm and just say, I'm just going to go forget about it all. I just, I don't want to mess around with it anymore. Or I get really mad. And then I get my blood boiling. And then my German heritage blood starts going, that's no problem. I'm going to do something about this. And... That's where I usually end up. Uh, well, I was governor of Kansas. The most famous picture in the state of Kansas uh, is right outside the governor's office in the state of Kansas. And it's this picture of John Brown, uh, who got his, basically, his political start in Kansas. He came out uh, there, and he was a real rebel rouser. He was an abolitionist. Uh, and he's really stirring things uh, up there. And the picture of John Brown outside my office is this giant guy 
Uh, he's got a Bible in one hand, a rifle in the other hand, a dead Union soldier, a dead uh, Confederate soldier laying in front of him, a prairie fire six feet tall behind him, and a tornado. <laughs> All in the same picture. And you think, you know, that kind of is like today, isn't it? I mean, that's just kind of descriptive of it seems like everything is stirred up and going so big. Uh, but I just, I want to. I want to remind you right now that God hasn't forgotten this, and he's not sitting it out. He is in this, and he's called you to be one of the Gideons. He's called you to be one of the people in the fight. I mean, that's what you're called. You don't want to be here. You don't think we ought to even be having to fight about this stuff. This is basic. I'm, I'm just standing for basic American principles. The religious freedom that I fought so much for started here in Virginia. You, you, this is the state and the place it started, and it was this genius thing. I just I want to take you to the beauty of this thing because, and the reason I want to do that is, is I think we're going to have to start just standing on our constitutional rights to be able to live our basic life. You're, just, you're going to have to stand on this right of free exercise. You have a constitutional right to practice your faith peacefully in any faith in any way you want to. And it's in the Constitution. And it was this brilliant thing that came out of Virginia. And think about it. All these people come over <coughs> from Europe, and in Europe, each country had its own religion and its own state church. Uh, and that's what you had to follow. If you didn't follow that, you get thrown in jail, you get killed. Uh, so they come over here. And they start different colonies, and the, the Church of England's here, and the Quakers are in Pennsylvania, and the Catholics are in Maryland, and you know, I mean, they're all over the different place. And then they want to form a country. And they're going to go, okay, what's the religion of our new nation? And they go, we can't agree on that. Okay, let's go, let's look at what Virginia did. They said religious freedom. There will be no state church. And you cannot block the right of an individual to practice their faith, the free exercise, nor will there be any prohibition against the free exercise thereof. That's the right, and that's what we have. And we're going to have to now start standing on that for practicing our basic faith. And I want to tell you, we are going to win this fight. Yes. We are winning this fight, and we're going to win this fight. We have to win this fight, or the nation's not going to be able to survive. We've got to win this fight, and you're a key part of us being able to do that. Now, I, I just, I want to go, I want to go into this pretty just bluntly. You, you need to stand up these issues here in Virginia because you're the founders of this fight. We have to stand for this religious freedom, and I would, I would do so in a beautiful way, just saying, look at the beauty of what this has allowed us to be as a nation. This right of religious freedom has allowed us to be the most diverse nation on the face of the earth with more faiths here than any other place on, the, on the, the face of the world. And we basically have been able to integrate with each other peacefully. Nobody else has been able to do that. And we have, well, why? Because we guarantee everybody's right to practice their faith freely as they see fit. We have a number of Amish in the state of Kansas. We had a, there was a fight between the state and the Amish because the Amish don't send their children to school past the age of 16. The state of Kansas said you've got to go to, to uh, basic education until the age of 18. Well, what are we going to do with this? Well, you're going to, go, you're going to make your kids go to school. So said, no, this is a deeply held religious belief. We, we, 
Well, we found an accommodation eventually that we said, okay, if you'll do a, a GRD, uh, graduate education, I mean, if you will pass a GED, then we'll let you go ahead and stop going to school at the age of 16, the Amish. And we figured out how to do it. And how much richer is our nation because we have Amish people here? How beautiful it is. That, and I, I, the Amish lifestyle isn't for me, but I admire people willing to sacrifice for their faith. And they're looking at the eternal objectives with this. Great. That's what we're going to have to figure out, is how to figure out these accommodations. And we're going to have to fight for these accommodations, for us to be able to, to receive those. And you're going to have to fight for them here in the state of Virginia. And that's why these groups, like what you're sponsoring here, are so important is to, to stand up for groups like the Virginia Family Policy Council and, and support this group. I, I've got a few key points that I just want to hit you with, and then I'll let you go. Number one is, you're, stand, you're in the most important fight there is, legislatively. It's for these things that are unseen, not the things that are seen. The things that are unseen are the things that last forever, the things that are seen are what most state governments are about is about the things that are seen. It's about your highways, it's about your tax policy, it's about uh, your college educations, it's about the budget, it's about the environment, it's about insurance. That's what most of your state legislative agendas are about. You're fighting about things that are unseen. You're, think, you're fighting about life itself. Religious freedom, how do you see that? You're fighting about you know, marriage is an institution between a man and a woman. These are really, you're fighting about the unseen things, and those are the most valuable things that you can fight about. I want to encourage you to be courageous. In politics, the typical way is to be uh, accommodating uh, or to avoid controversy. In politics, you, you want to try to avoid as many controversies as you can. You need to be courageous and right out there on these tough, issues and standing up and fighting. And the only way we lose is if we don't fight. We, only, we win these fights if we will stand up and we will say, a boy is a boy and a girl is a girl. You know, but that's a controversial statement that now, is to say something like that. But Virginia will stand up and say it. And we've got to be out there and saying things that may seem like you're picking a fight, by saying that, but you have to be out there declaring those fights. I want to also urge you to follow your heart, not your head. Follow your heart in these things. I mean, what your heart tells you to do. Follow. When I went to, uh, I was with a member of the House of Representatives that had been in for 24 years, had been chairman of Ways and Means Committee, and he goes to retire, and I'm at his retirement, and he was looking at me, he said, you know, I'm kind of envious of you. And I said, really, why? He said, well, because you have really just followed your heart in these things, and you're getting a lot of crazy causes. I kind of stayed with you know, the ways to get reelected, and my staff was telling me what I needed to do to get reelected and become a chairman. And now I am here 20 plus years later in the Congress, and I really didn't do the things that I thought I should have been doing, and I'm kind of sad about it. You know, I wish I'd followed my heart. Follow your heart. None of, us, none of us own anything here. We're all trustees. You think about this for just a moment. This really startled me when I thought about it with my own children. My children are my children, right? 
Even now, they're God's children. This is what the early pilgrims would say. They'd say, they aren't our children. They're, but, but they're not just God's children. They're God's children, and you've been given a trusteeship of something incredibly important and valuable to God. So they're not your children. There's something more valuable than that. They're God's children. God didn't have grandchildren. He just has children. <coughs> and you have been put in a trustee role. You're the trustee of this child that's incredibly valuable, infinitely valuable to God. Now what are you going to do with that? Before I think, you know what, I just want my, I want my kids to kind of grow up and be like me because I kind of think I figured out life right. <laughs> Silly me. None of my children are involved in politics. So, you know, I, I was really successful with that. But that's not what... God has a path for each one of them as individual that I need to encourage and I need to work with and I need to build training into them because I'm a trustee. None of us own the property we have. None of us own the money that we have. How many examples in the Bible are there about God talking about and Jesus giving a parable about you being a trustee? You were given five talents. You were given three talents. You were given one talent. Well, you weren't given it. You were given it for a period of time. And then what happens? There's an accounting that takes place. And you've got to be in it, you've got to account for what you had. I had a businessman friend of mine die a couple months ago. And I was just thinking, and he was a very successful businessman, he was a good Christian man, did a number of good things, but I thought the instant he died, he owned nothing here. The instant he died, it was gone. Nothing. Except what he had paid forward into heaven. The stuff he had given away was actually his at that moment. Forever. And not only that, I love God's investment plan. He says, give and, and give, and it will be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, a good measure. He, you know, he talks about you give him a penny, and I'll give you $100 if you put the penny in. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Let me, let me hear that again. I've never heard a, camp, a, a financial advisor tell me this. I put a penny in, and I get 100 pennies back, or $100. I mean, God's just so bountiful. And that's what his <coughs> investment plan is. If I look at what he's given me as not mine, but his, and I'm a mere trustee. But it's an important trusteeship because I'm going to be measured by that. So that really has helped my wife and my giving, honestly, because you know we look at it, and and you know, and, the, and the woman that gives the, the the little coin, and they watch all the people give money. God rewards by percentages. It looks like to me, and that she gives everything, and so he says, okay, she gave the most. Okay, then I've been blessed. I need to give and give abundantly. And I've found as my wife and I have gone into that strategy more, we end up with more than we've had before. You can't outgive God. And I, I, I want, I'm just saying that to you as a confession because it's something I've been stingy with, with the blessings that I've been receiving. Your talents. Another thing, retirement. Non-biblical. You can't do it. Well, I mean, you can, but there's one parable on it. 
in the Bible and it ends terribly. <laughs> it's about the farmer that he has this big crop coming in. I can identify the farmer with the big crop. What am I going to do with this? Well, I'm going to tear down my little barns and build bigger barns and then I'll store it and then I'll take my leisure. Sounds like a great retirement planning, doesn't it? I built big barns, I store it all up, and I'm going to take my leisure. And what's Jesus saying in the parable? You fool. Tonight your soul is required of you. And I go, oh, that hurts. So anyway, I just I want to I want to encourage you to help this group that's working on the unseen things that are critical that is watched around the world. What happens here is watched around the world. I've traveled around the world and people watch what happens in the United States. They watch what happens in these various states. This goes on the news. You know when you weren't served at the restaurant. You know the, op the opponents are out there. The little group we started up, National Committee for Religious Freedom, we weren't founded for 30 days and we got debanked by Chase Bank. I go in to put a deposit in for the National Committee for Religious Freedom. I'm a former senator and governor and ambassador. Helped start this group. We are we're eclectic. We've got all religious groups involved in it. We've got Christians and Jews and Muslims and Hindus, all standing for free exercise clause. And I go into the Chase Bank branch, and uh, the lady said, I, I'm sorry, we can't. That account's going to be closed down, and we, won't, we can't take your deposit. And they didn't tell us, they didn't anything about it. And I'm saying, what? He said, yes, I, this is just says, uh, the note here says, and did not, and it says, and, and this is irrevocable, and to not disclose any reasons, was the lady said to us. And I go, yeah, really, that's kind of what I, I'm like, huh? Actually, at first, I was kind of thankful because it was my wife and I's deposit. It was our money. We Save <laughs> <laughs> a little money today, I guess. You know, I mean, my wife will be happier that I didn't take more money away. Uh, and, but then, you know, we started digging into it, and they ended up giving us four different reasons. They still won't say why they debanked us uh, in the process. And we thought, uh, you know, Okay, we'll just go find another bank, and we did. But then we thought, no, we're going to fight this. Because why on earth should a religiously affiliated group that's bipartisan, that's multi-ethnic, that's just standing for the free exercise in the Constitution, that's in the First Amendment, that is more American than hot dogs and apple pie, that's even more American, why should we be debanked? Why should that happen? And that seemed just wrong. And plus, if we were forming this group to stand up uh, for these things, then we should stand up for it ourselves. So we did. We started fighting it. We started. We complained about it. We put out publicity about it, and we got it. I mean, there's lots of groups that then ended up covering it. And I had a dozen somewhat religious Christian-affiliated groups contact me, say, "Hey, that happened to us." But we just went and found another bank, or we went and found another provider, uh, just thinking, no, it's not worth the hassle to go out on it publicly. And I okay, then we're going to start a campaign on that. We're, we call our campaign Chased Away. Uh, and, and we're collecting stories of religious affiliated groups that have been deplatformed, de, uh, debanked. And then we're going to take those and turn them into uh, 
red state attorney generals or other groups to investigate this. Because in many cases, you, you cannot in this country discriminate on the basis of religion. That's one, of, that's one of our laws. I have a free exercise right as a constitutional right. And furthermore, if we lose ground on this right in this country or any of these rights, it gets magnified around the world. It happens more in other places. Because people, everybody watches here. What's America doing? What's their, what are they willing to stand up for? What are they willing to fight for? What are they willing not to fight for? When you lose ground on it here, you lose ground around the world. So we've got to defend it and fight for it here, or it'll be worse everywhere. It's not just about us. Well, I wish we had time for all of you to hear the entirety of his whole speech because it really was just a wonderful blend of humor and inspiration, but convicting at the same time. Yeah, the part that was so convicting to me was whenever he shared that whenever he came forward on this issue and explained what had happened with him with the bank, mm -hmm. that others felt empowered to come forward and share their stories as well. And I just think that reveals a... A, a theme in our culture that others need sometimes need others to go before them. So even with me and you, Candy, it's, yeah. it's so interesting how, how much of a role we can play just to share whenever these things happen in our culture and bring them to the light. Yeah, that's exactly right. I do think it's both a forewarning of what will happen if we fail to speak up um, because we are seeing you know, if the leftists are just unchecked and their ability to try to silence certain viewpoints, we will be left with a totalitarian system. Clearly, that's the roadmap we're on if we leave that unchecked. And that's why it's so important that we, you know, don't stay silent well, and that we speak up, but do it in a bold, principled way. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I, I was very encouraged. I just felt I felt like there should be an altar call after. Like he, he just really <laughs> motivated me and encouraged and convicted all at the same time. So I hope everyone enjoyed this and felt as encouraged as we did listening to this this week. So thank you for joining us for this week's episode. And um, please go to familyfoundation.org to learn more about our podcast. And remember, we are stronger when we speak together. Mm -hmm.